Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Dallas Cowboys. This is the Cowboys Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Cowboys Wire editor, K.D. Drummond. Minute 45 to go in the opening quarter. Here comes the blitz. Fake throw. Prescott hangs in. Throws caught. That is Lamb. And Lamb is as the field judge looks at it. A touchdown. Just one of the many highlights right there from what was an epic kickoff game for the NFL. I don't think he gets any better than Bucks cowboys although that Raiders-Ravens game was pretty sweet on Monday night too, but... Welcome into another episode of the Cowboys Wire podcast. If you found us kind of organically online, maybe in one of the Cowboys Wire articles, you can get us wherever you get your podcasts, right on your phone, subscribe, write a review, tell a friend, spread the word. We appreciate each and every one of our listeners. A lot of places to get your Cowboys content. And I, for one, am stoked to have you with us. And let's start, Katie, right off the bat, just like our leadoff takes off this game. Feels like the game was played a month ago uh, from Thursday night. But my leadoff take is... uh, Dak Prescott, right? I just, last week, I was doing different shows across the network, and I just thought that Dak Prescott, it would take him a quarter or two, just because he's only human, and you're coming off that gruesome ankle injury, and you're coming in, and how can you mentally be strong enough to just pop back in there against Vita Vea and that pass rush and everything the Bucks are going to be throwing at the Cowboys in that game? I just did not think the offense would just come in firing on all cylinders with really limited reps throughout the summer and no reps at all in the preseason games. And Dak was superhuman, right? It's only human to, to come in and have some rust to shake off. And Dak had no rust. And I thought he was the story of the game. I know it was the Tom Brady show, right? From the pregame to during the game with the commercials and everything was about Tom Brady being 44. And he played great as well. But I thought Dak was the story overall. He was amazing in this game. He played his ass off, and the Cowboys should have won. And it was because of Dak Prescott, I thought. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because nationally, the idea on the Cowboys is, you know, it's been a quiet offseason. When you look at power rankings, they're never ranked above 13th. I've seen them as low as 19th or 20th. Yep. And people just have this general idea that the Cowboys aren't going to be good. And we talk about this, you know, all the time on Twitter, quarterback wins aren't a thing. You can't put the win-loss record of a team on the quarterback. However, in most scenarios, when you have the better quarterback play, you're going to have a chance to win the game. And if you have a top quarterback in the league, you're going to have a chance to have a successful season. That's just kind of how it goes. So by, you know, association, if you're picking the Cowboys to be in the bottom half of the league, you're thinking that Dak Prescott is not going to perform up to par. And that didn't make sense to anybody that covers the Cowboys. Even though we know that he had the ankle injury and he went through the shoulder thing, everything that we've heard is how fantastic Dak Prescott has been in practice leading up to the season. We know that he didn't play during uh, the preseason. We know that he was limited in the training camp. But everybody that covers the team knows that he is was back and better than ever. But even with that knowledge, the thought process was still – we don't know how he's going to perform in week one. There's going to be no Zach Martin once he got, uh, you know, uh, found out to have COVID. Yep. We just didn't know what it was going to look like because of the rust and just not being able to play during the preseason. I as well wondered aloud whether it would take a quarter, two quarters, a game for him to be all the way back to being Dak Prescott. It took literally no snaps. 
from snap number one. He dropped that beautiful pass into Amari Cooper. Uh, full credit to Kellen Moore for calling that play when the Bucks were thinking that they were going to just try to pound Ezekiel Elliott to get out the shadow of their own end zone. Uh, but it was on from there. 400-plus yards, three touchdowns. The best pass that he threw on the night ended up in an interception because he threaded the absolute needle. Three defenders to get the ball right in CeeDee Lamb's hand. CeeDee Lamb drops it, uh, one of three drops he had on the game, but he drops it, it falls into the defender's hands, interception. It was the best throw that Dak Prescott had on the game in a mountain of great throws that he made. Um, he was just magnificent. It was, it was incredible to watch. And uh, I, I discovered a stat. This is now the fifth week in a row that Dak Prescott is ending on pace to shatter the NFL single-season passing yardage mark. For the last four games that he started last year and for this game, whatever your frame, your frame of reference you're looking at it, he is on pace to once again shatter the passing yardage mark that he was on pace to shatter last year. So all, all kudos to Dak Prescott for the work that he put in to recover from the ankle injury uh, to, you know, they took it slow with the shoulder injury. Uh, but but he, he is phenomenal. He is, by any measure, the Cowboys' best player right now. Oh, he is special. He is absolutely special. And yeah, that, that throw to CD that was tipped and picked, absolutely. I mean, I, I can't stop thinking about that bad snap near the end zone where it hit him in the knee, dropped on the ground. He picks it up and threw the ball to uh, Cooper on that, that little double move near the front pylon. That was a ridiculous throw and just looked yep. so yep. effortless. He's superhuman. He's superhuman. And the, that's your quarterback for the Cowboys, right? And I, think, uh, yep. I think we all watched a ton of football this weekend. I think the Cowboys look like one of the better teams in the NFC right now. I think, I think they're a playoff team. I think they could be. Uh, but a lot of that's going to depend on the defense. And uh, it wasn't horrible. I thought they did a pretty damn good job against that offense, KD, right? I mean, a lot of people picking the Bucks to just run the Cowboys out of the building. That was not the case at all. Dan Quinn, props to him. Uh, and, you know, the Cowboys piecing it together a little bit, especially in the secondary. Anthony, I mean, I thought, first of all, Trayvon Diggs was tremendous. Shut down Mike Evans. Yes. So excellent job yes. by Trayvon Diggs. And, you know, thank God for hard knocks. One thing we did get is we, we kind of saw the growth a little bit of Trayvon Diggs, right? One episode, Amari Cooper smoking him all over the field. The next episode, he's getting the better of Amari Cooper. And you're starting to see Trayvon Diggs and that he's a legit corner for the Cowboys. That's a good sign. The question is, Who's next, right? Who's next in line, Katie? Yeah. Who can we trust after Trayvon Diggs? What do you think there? there? There's a very big problem that the Cowboys have, and part of it I'm going to put on Dan Quinn. Now, let me circle back around. The Cowboys played very well when it came to run defense. The Bucks didn't really try to run. They got the uh, DeMarcus Lawrence forced to fumble early on Ronald Jones. He barely returned to the game, but they held the Bucks to just 14 carries, 52 yards, 3.7 yards per carry. Uh, so compared to where, where they were last year, where teams were just like, there's even there's no reason to even try to pass it <laughs> because point. we can run yep. all over this team. That is a tremendous difference already been made just by the scheme that Dan Quinn is employing. But when it comes to the pass defense, part of the reason that the Bucks only ran to 14 times was because they could get anything that they wanted against the majority of the Cowboys cornerbacks. Yes. Trevon Dibbs did absolutely shut down. Everybody he covered. He covered Mike Evans for the most of the game, and he only gave up one reception on the game, and he had an interception when he was covering Leonard Fournette. He is, by all accounts, a CB1, an ascending star. Uh, he is a turnover magnet, which is what the Cowboys have been missing out of their secondary for years on years on years on years. It has been a ridiculous desert of turnovers when it, when it, when it comes to the Cowboys' secondary. That started to make a difference last year, uh, and it looks like they have carried that over. They were able to turn over Tampa Bay four times. 
But there is a glaring issue opposite Trevon Diggs when it comes to cornerback. The Cowboys drafted Kelvin Joseph in the second round. They drafted Nashawn Wright in the third round. Uh, they clearly want to improve the talent around Diggs in the secondary. But because they had a little bit of a slow start in training camp, Joseph was not going to start the season. And then in the preseason finale, he injured his groin, went on IR. He's not going to be back until week four at the earliest. And then it left Anthony Brown out there with no solutions when he was getting absolutely flambéed by Tom Brady. Yep. He was targeted 10 times on the game, gave up nine receptions, 134 yards and a touchdown on plays when he was the closest defender to the person that caught the ball or that was targeted five for five for Tom Brady, 116 yards and a touchdown. He got burned by Antonio Brown. He got beat by Chris Godwin. He got beat by pretty much anybody that lined up on that side. And here's where I blame Dan Quinn for this. During the offseason, during training camp, during the preseason, he did not practice anybody on the left side except for Anthony Brown and Kelvin Joseph. Now, what does that mean? So Trevon Diggs mirrored Mike Evans. He followed him all over the field. Wherever Mike Evans went, Trevon Diggs went. He went. He plays normally right cornerback. He moved to left cornerback. He moved into the slot. Trevon Diggs moved all over the place. The problem is that Dan Quinn only played Kelvin Joseph at left cornerback. He only played Deshaun Wright at right cornerback. He only played Maurice Kennedy at slot cornerback. He did not give any three of those guys a single rep in the preseason at any of the other cornerback positions. So if you're going to move Trevon Diggs around to follow Mike Evans, that means that your opposite starting boundary corner also has to be able to move around and play the opposite side. Wherever Diggs lines up, the other guy has to play. The only person that has snaps at multiple positions on the Cowboys defense other than Diggs is Anthony Brown, which means that you could not put in Deshaun Wright and still run the scheme that you want to run with Diggs chasing Evans all around. If you put Deshaun Wright in the right cornerback, that means that you can only play Trevon Diggs at left cornerback, which means that the Bucks are then going to be able to take advantage of that in the way that they line up their guys, and they would always be targeting Deshaun Wright. You wouldn't be able to hide him against a guy like Mike Evans, who you would believe that he is not yet capable of defending on a full-time basis. So the Cowboys basically painted themselves in a corner based on how they divvied up snaps in practice and in the preseason. They compartmentalized each of their cornerbacks to a specific role. The only ones that actually are capable of chasing guys around are Diggs and Brown. Therefore, Diggs and Brown are going to be your guys moving forward. Now, does that change once we get to October and we get Joseph off of the interest list? Maybe. But I think it's going to be a process that's going to be longer than fans are going to be comfortable with in getting those guys adjusted. Once Joseph is able to be back, Maybe you start to run some sets where you have Joseph on one side, right on another, and then Diggs is capable and you're running those three corners so that if Diggs moves around, you still have guys who are capable of staying to the side that they're familiar with. But it's a big problem moving forward. I do, that, that's just I, I love the addition of Dan Quinn. Everybody knows that I'm hard on defensive coordinators the same way I'm hard on linebackers. It's just kind of one of those things that I do. I have faith in Dan Quinn turning this defense around, and we start to see some signs of that. But I do have a giant question mark over the decision that none of the guys got that versatility training that you want to see in cornerbacks. Maybe it's because of the youth, but still with Kennedy, Kennedy had a great offseason. They only played him in the slot. A veteran corner, 27, year, 27 years old, he should be able to move around. So that's my big beef.
No, I think it's it's a ama- it's amazing uh, insight and analysis, and you're wondering why why didn't we see a lot of Nation Wright? That's probably why. You know, it's tough luck playing Tom Brady in the first week because he's going to figure that out a couple plays into the game, right? KD, he's going to figure out what's going on. And he's going to start targeting, um, and that's that's what he does. He's going to pick on something until you can fix it. He's going to keep going there over and over and over. He's not shy about that yep. kind of thing. You know, if you don't come up with those four turnovers, it's a different game. Obviously, the Bucks are putting up a lot more points. So. Speaking of the coaching, I had other uh, questions I wanted to ask you, Katie, specifically about the head coach. There was one thing I really liked that Mike McCarthy did. There was one thing I want to second guess with you. We'll do that here coming up after Corey Bonini from TheHuddle.com gives us his fantasy plays of the week. This is the Typico Sportsbook Fantasy Minute. Let's make this interesting. interesting. Welcome to week number two of the fantasy football season. Corey Benini of TheHuddle.com here to talk to you about strong plays to get your season rolling right along. Quarterback Joe Burrow at the Chicago Bears. Some people might be immediately turned off by the name the Chicago Bears with the association of a one strong, proud defense. Forget about that. Last week, Los Angeles Rams quarterback Matthew Stafford obliterated this defense and showed the blueprint of how to take advantage of the young cornerbacks who are actually a liability, especially against play-action passing. Take note, Bengals head coach Zach Taylor is a Sean McVay disciple, so you can be sure that he was watching how this one unfolded. Green Bay Packers running back A.J. Dillon versus the Detroit Lions. The Packers returned to Lambeau Field after getting smacked in the mouth by the New Orleans Saints in Jacksonville. While he saw only five touches in the blowout loss, Dillon generated 26 yards of offense. Detroit has been one of the worst defenses of running backs in some time. We saw that play out last week with San Francisco backups taking full advantage of the situation. Look for an angry Packers offense to get up big, which could mean a lot of Dylan running out the clock late in the game. Denver Broncos wide receiver Tim Patrick at the Jacksonville Jaguars should be an interesting matchup for gamers to take a chance on. Wide receiver Jerry Judy has a high ankle sprain and he has been placed on short-term IR. Patrick caught all four of his targets last week for 39 yards and a touchdown. While I'm a little skeptical that he may have some competition for touches given the area of the field he tends to operate within, owners looking for a PPR flex, especially anyone who lost Judy, should give Patrick a look. Los Angeles Chargers tight end Jared Cook versus the Dallas Cowboys. While Cook is no Gronk, he still has a pretty good matchup ahead. Dallas made some changes at linebacker in the offseason, and sure, they've gotten faster, but it looks like they're still not completely on the same page. Additionally, Los Angeles has the weapons to spread out this defense, which could leave Cook with a lot of room to operate in the middle of the field. He also benefits if running back Austin Eckler once again isn't involved in the passing game. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please go check out thehuddle.com. That was your typical sportsbook fantasy minute. Win your fantasy football league with thehuddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at Typico Sportsbook. For a limited time, new Typico Sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right, Katie, I had a couple questions regarding Mike McCarthy and some of the decisions. Now, number one, the fact that the Cowboys, much like the Bucks did after Ronald Jones put the ball on the carpet, they, you know, they didn't really they didn't really go back to the run very often after that fumble. And I think I think the Cowboys, once they kind of saw this game, how it was playing out, how well Dak was playing, they didn't even try to establish the run with Zeke Elliott. Right. That was just not it was just an afterthought by halftime. This is not a running game. We're going to throw it. And uh, that was the right decision. So uh, that thing I was happy to see. That was a good decision by Mike McCarthy, in my opinion. The thing that I want to second guess is 
how they handled the end of the game, right? And I'm going to go through this a little bit, Katie, and I want to get your reaction to this. So the Cowboys get the ball at their own 10-yard line. They're down 28-26, to and they got all three of their timeouts, and there's about 4.08 left on the clock. And they go down the field, right? A couple of, you know, back-to-back first down, CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper. Uh, then we get the, the Tyron Smith holding call and backs us up, but Dak hits that great 31-yard strike to CeeDee Lamb on third and 11. And then coming out of the two-minute warning, you're in business, right? You, there's a minute 51 left, and your only job at this point is to get a score with as little time on the clock as possible, right? They started off with an incompletion to CD, stops the clock. Then they run Zeke on second down. The Bucks use their first timeout. And then after another holding call, uh, Dak hits Amari Cooper for 10 yards. The Bucks call their second timeout, and you're left with this really interesting decision on fourth and six from the Tampa 30 with a minute 24 left and a very shaky Zerline on the sideline, right? You got to figure out, do we want to kick the field goal now and leave Brady with a minute 20 and a timeout? Or do we want to go for it, leave the ball in Dak's hands, try to get the first down, run the clock out, and then kick the field goal and win it, and Brady never gets the ball? And for me, looking back on it, I'm second-guessing the decision. I, I want to go for it on fourth and six. I know that Zerline made the kick, but he was shaky as hell, right? And I, I don't know, how are Cowboys fans feeling when Zerline trotted out there for that kick? Couldn't have been feeling great. Uh, after what we saw earlier in the game. And it's just, Dak was so good. Like we talked about, he was just amazing in this game. And I'd rather keep the ball in his hands. You got the defense on their toes. You got C.D. Lamb. Amari Cooper was unbelievable in this game. They could barely cover him. I just, I'd rather see Dak go for it on fourth and six, try to pick that thing up and then run the clock out. I think like percentage-wise, what's the percentages? Kicking the field goal and then stopping Brady. I don't know. I think you might have a better percentage to go for the fourth and six. So I want to get your take on that. I'm second guessing it. Are you? All right. So I'm still up in the air on whether or not I'm really mad at Mike McCarthy about making that decision. I think at some point you have to trust your defense to make a stop. Uh, the Cowboys uh, were, were down a timeout. They only had two timeouts remaining on defense. Um, Tampa Bay had their allot, allotment of timeouts that they were using on the drive. They, were, they had one in their pocket that they were going to carry back over to offense. And if you look at the fourth down decision bot that uh, Ben Baldwin of the Athletic has, he actually says that the best move was to go for the field goal. Uh, the, if, if you go for the field goal attempt and succeed, you're at a 46% win percentage. And if you fail, you're at 6%. If you go for it, your success uh, percentage was 57%. And if you fail, it's 7%. But overall, um, your win percentage for the field goal attempt was 34%. To go for it was 28%. So the numbers actually say that it was smarter to go for the field goal attempt than it would have been to go for it. Uh, The game is basically over at that point. In my estimation, if you don't get points, if you don't get that first down. um, So it's, it's difficult for me to say, I mean, fortune favors a bold. And I think that that tends to be the answer in most scenarios when it comes to a fourth down decision, but I can't skewer Mike McCarthy for that decision based on the numbers that are out there and just a general feeling that you kind of just hoped, okay, you kick the ball off to Tom Brady. He, he, yeah, he has the, the minute plus, but you got to be able to get a stop. And honestly, if it weren't for the referees swallowing their whistle the entire drive for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, yep. it could have been a different outcome. You know, everybody knows that it was egregious that they didn't call an offensive pass interference there uh, when, he shut, when, when the receiver shoved the quarterback down to get the, uh, a key first down. But the referees weren't calling holes on that drive either. And it was, a, it was a game that they did not have a problem blowing the whistle. But down the stretch in Tampa, season opener, defending champions, 
it kind of felt like the refs were not going to do anything that was going to keep Tom Brady from having a new narrative for the season. Um, you know, Cowboys be damned. They don't care if the Cowboys win or lose. They just know the Cowboys are good for ratings. But Tom Brady, you definitely want to make sure Tom Brady's winning. Well, you got to factor that. You got to factor that in. <laughs> you got to factor that into the uh, <laughs> the analytics there, KD. You got to factor in that thing with Tom Brady when you kick it back that, to him. That's true. Yeah, you that's know true. Mean? That's true. You got to factor. I mean, I agree with you. Obviously, uh, first of all, it was a, an awesome back shoulder throw by Brady. The timing on that was that was sick. But yeah. Yeah. You can't tell me Godwin didn't shuck the, the the corner. He did. He shucked Jordan Lewis. He did. He shucked him. Yes. Jordan Lewis did throw his helmet back and slam the turf. I thought he tried to sell it, but he it, he was interfered with. He definitely was. Look, I mean, yes. I just want to spit this out. Like, 19 penalties for, like, 160 yards. Like, Ed Hockley's kid, can you get off my big screen TV while I'm watching the game? Like, can you get off my <laughs> – can you stop? Can you put the freaking flags away? My God. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure the Tampa Bay Bucks fans would come out, KD, and respond to you by saying, well, Vita Vea was probably held on every play because that guy is a freaking man. Holy crap. You told me. He, told you. you told, told me, you. man. Yeah. You told That guy is freaking unbelievable, by the way. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I was going to ask you about the OPI. I mean, I agree with you 100%. The flag should have been thrown. You've thrown 19 flags in the game, and that thing comes up and you don't throw it. So I have no problem yeah. with Cowboys fans going on Twitter and uh, be, you know being pissed because – I'm with you. That you can't throw the twentieth flag. You know what I mean? Like, come on. Like this, you've been right. doing it all day. Why you swallow it in that in that situation? But again, you're you're leaving yourself up to all that stuff when you kick it to Tom Brady, who, unfortunately, is a freaking unicorn. And you just knew when they flashed to him on the sideline. I wonder how Cowboys fans were feeling when he had that glare that they caught on the camera. It's like, oh boy, here we go. He's got to go down there and get the field goal. Right. You just know it. You know it was coming. Here, here's the situation. If they call that OPI, let's just play that out. If they call the OPI, yep. you're looking at second and 20 from the Tampa Bay 48 with 18 seconds left and no timeouts. You kind of got to like the Cowboys' chances there. And yep. I, I don't like to say that one play determines anything. But having to go another 22 yards with no timeouts in 18 seconds, I mean, I'm sure that they're going to target Anthony Brown at some point. And also, you got to remember that um, a big part of the reason that Tampa Bay was able to drive so easily was because when the Cowboys got the fumble uh, that stopped the previous game-clinching drive from Tampa Bay, when they were able to force a fumble, uh, DeMonte Kazee, the free safety, got poked in the eye. And he was not out there for the final series of the game. So the Cowboys were not playing with their best center field guy. And, you know, I'm, again, I'm not making excuses. I'm not saying that the Cowboys were guaranteed to win, but they were a little bit shorthanded in that drive. And I just feel like they would have had a – I think they would have had a really good chance to be able to stop them from getting those necessary 22 yards or whatever to get into field goal range or at least made it difficult for suck up a little bit further kick than when he ended up kicking – um, I, I think that there was a better chance for the Cowboys to pull out that victory if the refs had called the play correctly. Oh, 100%. No, and, I, and again, I have no, you know, I'm not going to give you any crap or any Cowboys fan crap for wanting a flag there. That was, that was a flag. It was a freaking penalty. I see Tampa Bay still getting a field goal attempt, but it's a harder one, right? It's going to be a harder field goal attempt right. for the win, and that's what we're talking about. But tough call there. Do you let Brady have it? I don't know. So tough one, but again, at the end of the day, Dak is freaking unbelievable. That offense is back. Yep. If the defense could just be a little bit better than last year, KD, you got a season, you got a team. And oh, by the way, the Giants look good, huh? All the people picking the Giants in the NFC. <laughs> Holy <laughs> crap. Uh, so coming up next, we're going to get into this Cowboys-Chargers game, look at the uh, sports betting lines and, and take our picks. But first, our friends from the Sportsbook Wire are going to give you their sports betting play of the week. This is the typical Sportsbook Minute. Let's make this interesting. 
Hello, I'm Esther McLaren of sportsbookwire.com and Bet Flippin' Podcast here with my colleague, as always, Jeff Clark, breaking down the Sunday night football matchup for week two between the Kansas City Chiefs and the host Baltimore Ravens. Ravens, plus 160, home underdogs, Chiefs minus 200. Baltimore plus three and a half on the spread. Jeff, is that interesting to you coming off their overtime loss against the Raiders? Yeah, this is a buy low spot for the Ravens. It's getting through the key number of three. You got three in the hook. Lamar was terrible last week throwing the ball, but Cleveland was able to run the ball all over Casey's defense. I think Lamar and Baltimore does the same. I think he passes a little bit better against his weak Kansas City defense. And I think Baltimore's defense improves after their stinker against the Raiders and Derek Carr. I'll take the three and a half with the Ravens. How about you? Patrick Mahomes is 3-0 against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. 34-21 win in Baltimore last week. That's good enough for me. I'm siding with the Chiefs, minus 3.5. That was your typical Sportsbook Minute. For a limited time, new users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See Tipico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right, KD, looking at this uh, line of the Tipico Sportsbook app, the first thing I look at is the total, 55 and a half. I'm taking the over to the moon, my man, right? 55 and a half. I think Cowboys, Chargers, <laughs> you're going to be points in this game. I might, I'm all over the over. What do you think? Yeah, I, I tend to lean that way. I'm going to probably bet the over in every single thing that the Cowboys do from here until absolutely, uh, absolutely time, <laughs> um, because uh, uh, until they get a solution at the cornerback position, I don't see them being able to stop teams from getting 28 points or so, and I don't see anybody stopping this Cowboys offense. I don't care who the defense is. So yeah, until until that point, I'm I'm going over on anything. Anything under 60, I'll probably end up betting the over when it comes to the Cowboys. 100. percent the spread, KD, two and a half points. The, the Cowboys are underdogs. They're getting two and a half. And I gave my hand away earlier in the show, but I just think give me those points all day. Watch the ton of football this weekend. The Cowboys look as good as you know any of these teams. They they look like they could compete. They're gonna be they're gonna be tough to beat, especially with that offense. I mean, you're giving me two and a half points for the Cowboys, even on the road in LA. I mean, I'm taking the points all day long. I just think the Cowboys are, are a better team right now, and, and I think they got the advantage at quarterback. I love Justin Herbert, but I think they got the advantage at quarterback. So if you're going to give me two and a half points, I'm taking the Cowboys. What do you think? So here's the thing. Tom Brady is Tom Brady. We all know what he can do. We know how he manages the game. We know that he's basically the mad scientist out there. He can see everything. You call him Dr. Strange. He can see all of the various ways that things are going to play out in the future and he's able to find just one Tom. even with the even with the jersey right. numbers too you know he can still he can figure that <laughs> thing out too <laughs> i'm i'm so glad that he got over his fear of single digit defenders <laughs> he figured it i'm out. really glad that he was able to work that off with the therapist uh, that, that was crazy we were all worried about him justin herbert justin herbert has a howitzer like he can throw over the top of any defense and with this cowboy secondary I'm a little bit worried about what he can do. So he he is a different type of threat than what Tom Brady brings to the table. Does he have the the experience to be able to know everything that he sees? No, but he's the type of guy that if he sees single coverage, he's going to target you, and it's going to be Anthony Brown all day long once again. So yep. I'm, I'm a little bit worried about that. So in that regard, I think that the Chargers are a good team. I think that the Chargers are a very good team with upside – and then the biggest issue is the offensive line. The Cowboys aren't going to have Lyle Collins. 
So how the heck are you going to stop Joey Bosa? That's my biggest issue. The Cowboys can can do some things protection-wise. We all saw the great game that Ezekiel Elliott had in pass protection at the last line of defense. Um, you know, he can do that against linebackers. I don't know if he can consistently do that against Joey Bosa if he beats uh, what it looks like right now, Terrence Steele, or even if Ty Naseki is going to be the guy that plays right tackle for the Cowboys. So that's a little bit of a concern, how they're going to stop the San Diego defense from getting in Dak Prescott's face and causing him issues. <sighs> It's a tough matchup for the Cowboys. I'm not offended at them being two and a half point underdogs. If you go by the, you know, the time tested edict that home team is favored by three points. So you're kind of saying Dallas is a better team than the Chargers, but because the Chargers are at home, the Chargers are one of those teams that don't have a home field advantage because nobody goes to their games. <laughs> True. Um, you know, not, I won't say nobody goes to their games, but they don't have a heavy following of fans in LA. This is going to be one of those games where it's a Cowboys home game. Yep. That wasn't the case in Tampa, clearly. Defending champion Super Bowl opening game of the season. The Cowboys fans were there. I, I know several that were there, but they weren't going to drown out the Tampa Bay Bucks fans in that game. There is a good chance this is going to be at least a 40%, if not more, Cowboys fan uh, experience when it comes to that stadium, which kind of gives them a bit of an edge because home teams that don't get the support that they're looking for, that tends to affect them more. Like, and, and plus, the Cowboys tend to love being in hostile environments. That's kind of their thing. They're used to it. They're America's team, and they're also America's most hated team. So they're used to being on the road. I think that all things being considered, it's going to be a tough game for the Cowboys. But I would take the points. I would go ahead and say that the Cowboys can pull out this victory if you were to force me to make a wager on this game because everybody knows I, I don't wager anything like three units. I wouldn't recommend three units. If you were going to be a betting man and bet three units, I would not be the guy that would tell you to bet three units. Oh, three units. That means, that means you feel good about the Cowboys. You just fed me all this hogwash about the Chargers and now you feel with three units. <laughs> I just feel like this has a this has like a backyard kind of football type of deal. Right? I just feel like we could have a Dak versus Herbert slinging the ball all over the field kind of thing again. And and, and I'm here for it. Yeah. I think that could be fun. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It should be a great game. Yeah. Give me the Cowboys. I'm I'm all in now. I, I thought they looked pretty good. They looked better than I thought they were going to look on Thursday, Katie. So I'm in. I'm I'm all I'm I'm invested in Dak. I'm here for it. So don't let me down, Dallas. I'm I think I'm going to come out. I'm going to call you a playoff team, but don't let me down. Well, you know, the, the biggest concern that the Cowboys have is making sure that your bets come out, <laughs> exactly. you know, in the positive. <laughs> that, that is clearly their top priority. So by that measure, I think that they have to go out and win the game. 100%. Yeah, I feel I feel much better I, uh, on the over than I do on the spread. So I'm definitely going to be sprinkling something on that. Maybe three units. Three units. I like that. Three units. I got to figure out what. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. So uh, for KD, I'm Ryan O'Leary. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, tell a friend. We appreciate you. We'll catch you next week. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.